Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you. How you been? Fine. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> for those, oh, I'm not too bad, mate. Uh, for those listening at home, which is everyone apart from you and me, um, since we last recorded, Dylan and I met up in person. We had a lovely yes. little dinner. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We watched a movie together. We did. It was very, very nice. It was good. It was a good time. Do you want to tell them how disappointed you were that we didn't get to go to where we wanted to go, though? Well, I'm a bit disappointed. So it was actually um, Melbourne Cup day slash afternoon evening that we went to have dinner and we wanted to go to Fibbers up in Toowoomba and it was full I think because of COVID restrictions and you know reduced capacities but still we were kind of like it was like 5 36 wasn't it yeah Melbourne no, Cup's like two o'clock <laughs> well <laughs> the start of the the Melbourne Cup's two o'clock and then the the piss up afterwards so mm, that lasts true. however long you want it to True, I guess. Maybe we should have booked. I mean, we, we talked it up for about a week yeah. and we didn't even book, so maybe that's on us, really. Lesson learned, but I'm still pissed. Yeah, me too. Dylan, for someone who's never listened to this show before, how do you describe it? Um, it's you and me talking to each other, mm-hmm. having a good old time, good old laugh, good old yarn. Uh, <laughs> it's basically to keep in touch because we miss each other mm-hmm. and to brighten each other's week. We're running us through a, a topic... Uh, that can be anything. It can be anything. It really can. And that's the, the best part is that you and I don't know each other's topic. For no, usually, generally usually. Not. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start you off this week. It's my turn to take you through a journey. Well, I'm excited. I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Alrighty. Yeah. yeah. First question. Yeah. What's the matter you? <laughs> hey? Got no respect? What do you uh, think you do? Why you look so sad? Why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're looking at Joe Dolce's 1980 hit song, Sharper Your Face. <laughs> oh, God. Why? I'm, I'm just going to check. This isn't your topic for next week, is it? The same? You know? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was going to be the week after, but I mean, you uh, beat me to it, so I, it's fine. I've beaten you to it. Well, I, was, I had a feeling that we'd eventually get into this... 1980 novelty song from Australia. Did you? <laughs> I mean... Why? Well, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it, but... You're all for it. So you're aware of the song. That's good. Oh, yeah, I know. I know the song. Oh, yes. Um, for those of you who perhaps haven't heard it or haven't heard it in a while, um, it's a strange song, it's, <laughs> to put it lightly. It's a song that I feel was ubiquitous in my youth. I heard it a lot. I'm not really sure why how but it got, it got around didn't it still for me it was like um kids used to sing it at primary school mm. it's catchy isn't it it's it, a catchy it song it is um i don't know if you, have you listened to the lyrics closely ever <laughs> well i mean or do you go in for the chorus mainly 
Uh, yeah, I'm a chorus man myself. <laughs> I, I haven't studied the, the lyrics meticulously. I must yeah, admit. well, they are, it's an interesting song in some ways, and some people try to make it out to be a bit more, um, have more depth than it perhaps does. But basically it's about a guy sort of complaining about his life and his mum's trying to keep him in line, and she's the one saying, you know, why look so matter, sad? Yeah. yeah, shut up your face. Things aren't so bad. It's a nice place. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's usually, there's a few different versions, but there's like, you know, in the traditional song, you might have like the guitar solo or like the rap solo bit at the moment in, in one music. He does like a weird spoken word bit where he talks to the audience and then he sort of teaches them the words and then they get them to sing along. Um, yeah. I can't deny that it's, it's um, a weird song because it is, but it is catchy and it's, it's very popular and it is one of those ones where I, I it's so popular i can't remember hearing it for the first time it's just always sort of been there yeah like always been embedded in your your brain yeah yeah so it was released in late 1980 i couldn't find an exact date but it, it was hit, hitting number one in, in the australian charts in november so i'm going to guess it's around november um it stayed there for one two three four five six seven eight weeks, Dylan. Good run. Good run. <laughs> Good run in Australia. Oh, um, yeah. It also spent three weeks um, number one in the UK in 1981. Oh. And UK gets a look in. Well, it actually hit number one in 11 countries, Dylan. Oh, <laughs> Can you believe that? No, I can't. <laughs> I actually can't. So I'm not joking. Wikipedia has a list of its um, peak positions on the single charts around the world, so. It hit number one in Belgium, uh, number two in Canada, Germany number one, Ireland number one, Netherlands four. I only got to four in the Netherlands. What are they listening to? That's so much better than this. That's Ooh, what I want. Three play, other though. songs apparently. Yeah, well, um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> somehow, um, New Zealand number one, Norway number two, South Africa and Switzerland number one. Only cracked number five in Sweden. The Swedes. I know. What's going on? Um, and then the US has three different charts here in 1981, apparently. Of course. Billboard is 53. And then the US Cashbox Top 100, it got to 43. And then the US Record World, number 24. And I was a bit confused about these because I only have Billboard, number one, don't know about you. Yeah. Um, the other two were kind of like industry magazines, and I think they had different kind of ways of judging how popular songs were. Like sometimes they were taking into account like jukeboxes and... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, and maybe they were like an aggregate sort of thing of taking into account radio as well, that sort of thing. I don't know. Anyway, it didn't really hit the US that, that much is the point there, I suppose. Yeah, no, they weren't a big fan, were they? No, but it did well everywhere else. Um, Wikipedia says there have been 50 different foreign language covers. Oh my goodness. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's actually like an indigenous language cover down here in Australia, which is which is cool. Uh, Wikipedia also lists one, like there's a spoken word cover by Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, no. I, I looked into it. From what I could tell, <laughs> he's, on, he's on the Jonathan Ross TV show, you know, late night sort of host over yeah. in the UK. Yeah. And Jonathan Ross just gives him, him the lyrics to... Um, say to give his best Samuel Jackson version so I think calling that a cover is I mean technically true but not like he went and released it you know a recording to put on the radio that sort of thing so anyway that exists out there though if you're interested is it good or does it just sound like he's reading off a script for the first time um it's not it's Samuel Jackson so you know 
it's as good as he can probably do. And it was, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, it was one of those mid two thousands late night TV show comedy sure. bits. You know, it's on YouTube, so get around it. The best, yeah. um, the best cover I could find though is from it's on YouTube. It's by um, the Sicilian guy, all one word. It's from 20, 2017. Where's uh, he from? I reckon he's from Sicily. <laughs> And it's like a homemade um, video, but it's like a techno remix as well. Oh, great. And I'll put this, you know, in our show notes and a link to this if you want to have a look. And you'll send it to me. I'll send it to you straight after we listen to this. Yeah, listen to it. Um, Just letting you know, just so you're not caught unawares like I was. Halfway through, there's a rave in a club. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Which to me kind of looks like it might just be um, like stock footage. Oh no, but, Sicilian guy. <laughs> the rest of it seems to be stuff he's filmed around town. You know, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. in, somewhere in Sicily where he's got local people, hairdressers, some guys playing cards, and people sort of doing the song. Also, some like sexy Italian dancers um, who have shirts made up with the with some of the lyrics, and they're like wearing sort of denim, denim cut off shorts, and then they're dancing. It, it gets weird, all right? That sounds like madness. Well, YouTube commenter um, Bristol Dragon, he summed it up best with the top comment. He said, <laughs> right, that's enough internet for me today. <laughs> oh, got him. Got him good. Um, one, I think the funnest version I saw online was actually from Countdown, near the old ABC music show. Oh, yeah. Because it has Molly Meldrum dressed up as the accordion player who's dancing around. So, <laughs> Nice. <laughs> if, if you have to watch one version, I think that's the one you'd watch on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, mate, love me some Molly. Um, who doesn't? I love Molly. Well, anyone outside of Australia, I'm probably guessing. But... <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to bet you something, Dylan. I'm going to shout you dinner if you get the answer to this question right to the nearest million. Okay. How many copies do you think it sold worldwide, according to Wikipedia? 800 million. <laughs> do you want another guess? <laughs> that's a lot that, that's way hot over <laughs> but the actual number is still pretty high <laughs> okay uh, I'll have another guess can I have three have three guesses okay, okay. So you've had one already so you two more oh. I'll let you know if you're getting closer or not okay 200 million <laughs> you're still way too high oh far out let, let me, I'll, put, I'll put it this way it's between zero million <laughs> <laughs> and 10 million, so somewhere in there. Oh, that not that much. Um, 5 million. Over 6 million copies. I was close. That's pretty close. I'll, I'll buy you a drink maybe next time I see you. Eh, all right, I'll have a raspberry. Okay. <laughs> um, Wikipedia also suggests that it was the most successful Australian-produced single in Australian music history for many years. Um, the sales over 450,000 down here. It's also the first triple platinum recording. In Australia. Oh, okay. Very nice. If you wanted to know what is the 18 times platinum single, that's like the highest single we've got going at the moment in Australia, it's Uptown Funk. Oh, so not Shannon Noll. Apparently not Shannon Noll shine on. <laughs> that's disappointing. <laughs> uh, and just to talk a bit about the legacy of the song, the National Folk Festival in Canberra featured the inspired Shut Up Your Face concert in 2006. Um, and artists at the festival, they were invited to come perform their interpretation of the song, and then a similar thing happened in Tasmania 
um, the following year. And, and Joe himself went along to MC the events and be part of it. So, okay. like, there's no denying it's, it's had an influence on the world. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got its own little place in pop culture history. It's always respectable. And, it, you know, he's got more... He's sold more songs than you and I have, so... Well, at the moment, yeah. Well, for now, yes. See what happens. But who is the man? Who is Joe Dolce? That's the question, isn't it? Please tell me. Well, I never knew this, Dylan. Okay. He's from Ohio originally. (gasps) An imposter. He's an imposter. (laughs) The singer of one of Australia's best-loved or most popular songs is not even Australian. Well, he's Australian now, let's put it that way. When did he migrate? Uh, In the 70s. So he he was Italian-American, um... He went to uni to study architecture, but he'd always been a bit of an entertainer. He'd be an actor in school, you know, the school plays and things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, when he was at uni, he found himself being more interested in the music industry. Then he sort of kicked around the US trying to get into... He was a few different bands trying to get make it big entertainment. Um, I couldn't quite tell his bit. I had a few sort of different sources. I'm not sure if he married this girl first or... So eventually he came to Melbourne in 1978 because um, he, I think he married this woman who came to live in Melbourne. That's what happened. Mm. But then he later has another wife. We'll get into that in a second. Um, and so he was sort of performing sort of cabaret songs around Melbourne. He had a one-man show called the Joe Dolce Music Theatre. Um, what's something he found? He said this at a few interviews and it's, it's on his Wikipedia page is that when he came to Australia, he found that Italian Australians were still discriminated against. Oh, no. Um, I know, right? And a bit behind the US where, you know, I'm not saying discrimination never happened in the US. Obviously, it did. But someone like Frank Sinatra and Robert De Niro, they were doing pretty well in, in America by the 70s and 80s, you know. But yeah. um, in Australia, they were, they were still, you know, called um, discriminatory terms and they weren't sort of on the same level. Oh. Um, he had a bit of political edge from the get-go. And one of his first singles he released in Australia was called Boat People. And it's a protest song about um, Vietnamese refugees, which is pretty cool. It's on his SoundCloud. I listen to it today. And, you know, some of the same messages from that could be applied to our refugee crisis here in Australia today. So, Well, good on him. I mean, yeah. He doesn't even have a, a horse in that race, I guess you could say. No, exactly he right. He cares about it. That's what you want to see. Yeah, that's 100% right. So the first performance of Sharp Your Face was apparently at a talent night in 1979 at the long gone marijuana house in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Oh no, why is it long gone? What <laughs> a know. name! It's a great name, isn't it? Yeah, bloody hell! <laughs> um, so you know, Melbourne is a pretty hip and happening place, and the Fitzroy is, is you know inner city suburb. I don't know about marijuana house though. It sounds pretty awesome though. Yeah, bloody hell! I'd go there. Um, so what he was doing in it, you know, I wasn't there, and I. I'm talk, this is all based off you know a few hours of research. I'm not going to say I'm an expert on Joe Dolce, but he's playing a character called Giuseppe, which kind of seems like a Borat type. So like he's sort oh, of really? playing up you know stereotypes, um, and there's the reports that he would sort of get out there and um, sort of incite the audience to start using derogatory terms and sort of get them to reveal their own racism, a bit like a oh. Borat, you know. Mm. Um, and then eventually he would sing the song. And it's always been this kind of thing about is the song celebrating migrant Italian culture to Australia or is it just a way for us white Australians to laugh and make fun of them? But if they're making fun of themselves, like, are they in on the joke? That kind of thing, so... Yeah. 
It's, it's, I'm seeing that. I mean, he wrote it, so. Yeah, and I, I think he's always thought it, of of it as satire, but but then is it his fault if some people miss the joke and are just using it for straight up, you know, racism? I guess. Oh no. Not at all. I don't think. No. Uh, in the eighties, so this is something eighty, eighty one, that has become popular. And he seemed to have kind of ridden the wave from there on of of the song. And like, <laughs> if you make a, a one hit wonder, you may as well you got to oh, do what you can, right? Milk that cow dry, babe. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so he had a few more songs where he's kind of playing Italian characters. Um, one was called "You Touch on My Car, I Break Your Face." Fair. Um, he later said, and I think this, I've had a few articles from here, like this from the Guardian, where he said. These thrashings of the Italian theme, he admits, were mistakes. There were bad photocopies of the first one. Um, that goes on to say that he lives pretty comfortably. He mainly got proceeds of Shut Up, which, fair enough. Yeah. Um, the role of the comedy Italian was eating away at him, the article says. It was destroying my belief system, trying to conform to what the mass mark understood Shut Up Your Face to be about. The general mass will always remember only the broader strokes, if I had done that persona my whole life, people would have believed it was actually me. Well, so some conf- some conflicted feelings there, I think, about his success. Um, it's a novelty song. Like it's not it's not a great you know, oh, work no, of <laughs> work of music. Not a technically great song. No. No. Well, mm, I'll say something in a second about his thoughts about his music ability. But <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a little fun fact, though, which kind of blew my mind. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, he and his partner, Lynn Van Heck, um, that's his second wife, they've got a family now, which is pretty cool. They oh, performed at various shows um, in different groups over the years. There was one called um, Difficult Women. It's like a cabaret sort of show, which sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he was lead actor in 1988 film Blowing Hot and Cold. The premise, according to Wikipedia, is... Two people from Italy and Australia set their cultural differences aside to search for a girl who ran off with a drug dealer. I've never heard of it. <laughs> no, me either, but sounds pretty good. Does it? <laughs> well, but this is the fun fact, which I think you'll be into. Okay. Um, you might be interested in the fact that Van Heck and Dolce wrote Intimacy for the 1984 film The Terminator. Oh, shit, son. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, and, and she performs it all. Like, I'm pretty sure it's her from what I can see online. Um, there's a film clip I watched. 
And yeah. it, it's one of those classic tie-in movie film clips where... Oh, it just has clips in the movie? Well, yes. And, and yeah. she's singing. Um, she's wearing all black, wearing a little black dress, and mm-hmm. other guys... There's like, there's like six guitarists. I'm not sure they're all... They can't all be playing, surely. <laughs> there's so many of them, Dylan. Is it necessary? <laughs> one or two of them is just like, like warned into the wrong studio haven't they and they're just going we're going with it it's um it's very 80s there's big hair everywhere um but the part of the film that, that sort of gets in there a lot is the nightclub scene do you remember that where arnie um comes in and he's about they're about to shoot he's about to shoot her he's got you know the laser yeah, on her head Sarah Connor. yeah 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 yep. um is that when carl reese shows up I yeah think? he he comes in his shotgun and gets arnie and they, they just get away yeah. and you know film clip it made me want to watch Terminator again. So, you know, in that sense, I think it was an effective film clip. <laughs> yeah, I, and good movie too. So, you know, win. I think one of the best, tem- the best Terminator, I'm going to say it. Oh, Rip, you don't like 2 better? I love 2, but I think the Terminator's got something special about it. It is interesting seeing Arnie play a bad guy. He doesn't yeah. do that much. Mm-hmm. And successfully this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I can see where you're coming from. And uh, one thing about the Terminator, no many... No matter how many times I've seen it, I always feel like I get scared. I get dread with this big guy's coming after him. And, you know, you've only got Kyle Reese, who's a little weedy guy who only just survives and is only just a fighter. Yeah, and that's like peak muscle army too. Like exactly right. Right off pumping iron and Hercules mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the later ones, it's like it's a bit less interesting when it's... A bunch of robots fighting each oh, other, you know. Yeah, it's all, all dog shit after two. Don't worry about that. Well, oh. I didn't mind Genesis. I'm gonna say that. Genesis is that the first time Arnie comes back when he's old? Yeah, that's the one with, um, with Amelia Clark. Clark. Yep, yep. It's okay. I missed it at the cinema and then I watched it a few like last year after everyone had been bad mouthing it for years. And I'm like, it's not actually that bad. It's not great. It's not Terminator Two, but what is? You know, nothing. Nothing. Um, and just side point, how amazing is it that I can just look up all this stuff and I just like can find, you know, anyone can look up this film clip, you know, 25 years ago, if you're trying to find this film clip, you just have to like watch Rage and hope it comes on. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's, you know? a, that's a yeah. flashback on mm-hmm. Rage. 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 <laughs> uh, okay, back to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so it seems like, you know, from the 90s onwards, he became a bit more of a writer. He's a poet these days. Oh. Um, he's very arty. He's got a political edge, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guardian also said that as far as Sharp is concerned, he now favours a version performed with the Vietnamese comic to protest about the electoral success of Australia's racist One Nation Party. And another one which uh, mentioned was the um, Indigenous language version. Um, mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool he's won a few poetry awards and he also um, is all about putting famous poems to music which is pretty cool I guess yeah money oath um, The Monthly published his essay on art censorship in April 2013 and I just want to include this because it's called Shut Up Your Facebook <laughs> that's good on. isn't it yeah um, he's now 73 years old um, in that 2002 article, though, they mentioned this idea that was floating around called Second Chance Idol. So this is like right in the time of Australian Idol and Pop Idol and all those mm-hmm. shows. Yeah. Second Chance Idol apparently was an idea about getting one hit wonders, 
back in for a second chance to see if they could hit it big again. And he was open to the idea. He said something like, um, what have I got to lose? <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> if only 2% of the audience are attracted to the sort of stuff I do, then that's going to be good for me. Oh, my God. Um, I wonder if they could snag Billy Ray Cyrus over as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. Um, but that's the only reference I could find out online, so I'm guessing it didn't happen. Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it was so bad, they just erased it from history. Potentially. Um, but the song, Dylan, the significance of the song. Mm. Firstly, people think it's annoying. And, well, it is. You know, it is annoying. We've got to say that. part of its appeal. Um, in 2013, Yahoo 7 put together a list of the worst Australian songs of all time. And Don't. it was on It was on there. It was on there. Um, but Michael Gadinsky, who's like a famous record producer, promoter guy in the music industry down in Australia, he says... To say it's the worst song may be a bit harsh. Yeah, definitely. Well, no. He goes on to say, though, it was certainly an an absolutely stupid song, but it was a catchy song. It was a lovable, fun song, and it was a number one song, which is, that's all true. Yeah, he summed it up perfectly. Dolce said to The Guardian, though, he said he thought it was controversial. It's a record that divides people into those who love it and those who hate it. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle, to be honest. I don't love or hate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I'm pretty ambiguous towards it. Yeah, and maybe that's because, like, it was ubiquitous in our lifetime, but it wasn't on the radio 100% of the time. Maybe if you were hearing it all the time back in the 80s, you might be feeling like you hated it a bit more than us who kind of, like, appreciate its novelty quality, don't we? Yeah. Um, you can try and find some um, working-class elements to it. People try to have to you know, look for some hidden depth into it. Um, but The Guardian says, But to the ears of most people, whatever message Dolce intended has been lost beneath the winsome quirkiness of the rattling mandolins, hammy accent, and cold Italian posturing, which is probably fair enough. <laughs> However, in 2005, The Age wrote an article about it. Um, they quoted um, journalist Craig Matheson, he's a music, music journalist, mm. and he was, he was a big fan of the song in the sense that he said, Sharp Your Face summed up the change in Australia when multiculturalism displaced the derogatory t- label New Australian. So it was kind of moving into the 80s. It was less about everyone assimilating into a wide Australia and maybe we we're celebrating all the different cultures that make up Australia, which this song, I don't think the song made that happen, but the song was certainly... The fact that it was so popular indicated that Australia was in a different place, I suppose, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, ethnic Australians finally felt comfortable enough to laugh at themselves, is what the article says. Many others, though, saw it as a chance to laugh at migrants. Dolce, though, he believes his song was the start of a rising tide of tolerance in Australia. And he's sort of suggesting that humour was a good way to to get people to um, accept others rather than having dour face political correctness. Everyone having a laugh at each other is kind of what he thought was a way of Australia coming together, which, you know, he says that Australians laugh at Crocodile Dundee and Barry Humphreys magnifies Australian characters. He said he's doing the same sort of thing with his Italian-Australian character. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, he also says something I'm not sure is completely accurate, but he says, oh. you, if you can't laugh about something, it's still marginalised. 
He cites the Quran as, an, as a contemporary example. You can't make jokes about it because you'll be killed. You can't mess with Allah. Wow. So, just going to leave that one there. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, it's a quote from David Fickling from the Guardian article I've been mentioning. Yeah. And I think it's... Um, it's worthwhile saying the whole thing if that's okay. It's just going to... Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's it, it was kind of following on from that idea of him um, going on Second Chance Idol and sort of sums up the legacy of the song in some ways. It says, This suspicion of selling out runs deep, perhaps even sharpened by the suspicion that he, may, might, he might have done precisely that in the 1980s. He's obsessed by the idea that posterity will judge him differently, but says he wouldn't regret it if it was only if he was only remembered for Shut Up. Most telling is his behaviour at an Australian awards ceremony soon after Shut Up took off. He turned up in the persona of a serious artist and refused to accept the award because of Australia's treatment of his ethnic minorities. Interesting, right? Yeah. Having stalked off stage, he suddenly bounced back on as the goofy character from the song's video and performed a rousing version of the hit the audience had been waiting for. The serious artist thing had all been a joke. You wonder if perhaps, in retrospect... He wished he'd stayed in the wings. Hmm. Poignant. Very, very poignant. I thought that's a good way to end. Um, that's right. If you're making a political, satirical point, you kind of have to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe if he was trying to make that song, maybe make that point, maybe it didn't really happen and maybe he was content to, um, to ride the wave of, of the popularity, but... I wasn't there. 1980s, before my time. I'm just here sort of knowing this song exists and looking into it a bit, you know? The world was a worse place. <laughs> you reckon? Before you were born? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Helen. Is that all right. because I've come into the world or just in general? Uh, I think just a lot of stuff happened in uh, in 94. Was that when you were born, 94? 93 for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then it got really better... The next year, right when you when you came along, yeah, hey. party started, boy. <laughs> um, I just forgot. I, I missed this this quote. Um, this is before the the second chance idol stuff. And <laughs> yeah. I consider myself one of the best songwriters in the world. Is what he says. So. Oh well, that's no, no. Probably not wrong. something you can consider yourself to be, right? Well, you can consider it. Doesn't well, mean it's right. He's made a lot of poetry awards since then, so you know. Who are we to judge? I have won any poetry awards. Oh, well, um, I'll judge him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, do you have any final thoughts on Sharpie Face, Dylan? Uh, not quite a banger, mm-hmm. but half decent. Half decent, okay. It's going to be in your head now, isn't it? <laughs> I've, I've brought it back into your mind and yeah, the listeners. It's not okay, but I'll, I'll mm. try and get past it. <laughs> Listen to some Kanye to drown it out. All right. Well, before you do that, I'm going to talk you through a couple more novelty songs, just very, very briefly. Sure. So a novelty song is defined by Wikipedia, our good friends at Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a type of song built upon some form of novel concept, such as a gimmick, a piece of humour, or a sample of popular culture. They kind of overlap with comedy songs in general, um, but they're more of just humour-based. Um, novelty song is a gimmick, I suppose, is, is a good way of doing it. It's not a tr- quote-unquote traditional song. It's some sort of song that's got a hook of some other sort to it. And Shut Up Your Face is kind of, I guess the hook would be 
the quirky character who's singing the song and the idea of the the chorus that you sing along to and whatever like that. So yeah, um, there are these guys called the KLF and they were a electronic band in the 1980s in um, the UK. Yep. And they had a number one single called Doctor in the TARDIS where they sort of, it's a dance remix of Doctor Who theme song and some other songs. And they wrote a book about getting number one hit with a gimmicky song like this. Yeah. Um, they argued that at the time, achieving a number one single, um, single could be achieved less by musical talent than through market research, sampling and gimmicks matched to an underlying danceable groove, which is yeah. kind of true. Fair enough. Was it only number one in UK? Um, from what I can tell, but I can just, may as well double check. Because they, they fucking love their Doctor Who, don't they? Oh, it was number one in New Zealand as well. Reached number two here in Australia. Um, 66 in the US, which is pretty good, considering they don't have Doctor Who much over there, especially in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, fair point. But yeah, mainly UK. Well, that's where it was all biggest, wasn't it, Doctor Who? Yeah, pretty yeah. UK, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Now, there's a list on Wikipedia of what's of novelty songs, but I'm going to give you the top three, okay, in my opinion. Oh, so <laughs> Well, some would say that I have the final say on this topic, considering I'm doing a podcast on it. Fair enough, fair enough. First of all, we've got mm. My Dingling. Banger. It's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> and... Oh, yeah. Probably your first introduction and mine was in The Simpsons. Simpsons, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the, the whole song itself is pretty funny as well, actually. Yeah. And it was one of those funny, because it's a bit naughty, it was, they try to get it banned, but because it was trying to get banned, it got even more interesting to people, oh, that sort of thing. That's, so, that's how it goes, isn't it? Um, that's good. There's a, there's a Chuck Berry version of that. That's pretty funny. Oh, my. Uh, the second best novelty song of all time... In your opinion. According to me. <laughs> yeah. It's a banger again. Okay. Monster Mash. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you feel that. it? You get it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good. I like it. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't call it a banger, but I everyone loves it, so. It, 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 it gets a lot of play around this time of year, around spooky season, which is good. Well, true, yeah. And now, for another Simpsons connection, here is the best novelty song of all time. Of all time. According to me. Hello, Mara. Hello, Fada. <laughs> In brackets, a letter from camp. Here I am at Camp Granada. <laughs> oh, uh, it is classic. Good. And then Homer obviously asks <laughs> Marge, is Lisa at Camp Granada? <laughs> it is classic. good. It is good stuff. But I actually listened to that whole song a few times today, and it actually it, it bangs. It's a good yeah, one. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, do you have that list there? With the novelty songs? Oh, I can just give you one second. I just want to know if the Mortal Kombat song's on there. <laughs> I don't think it's on that one. <gasps> Rough. That would be my number one pick. That is a good one. Best novelty song. Uh, Mortal Kombat. I can't see it. Oh, these ones are, are more... Oh, this is it top five charting in the US. So maybe this isn't the ones that are just the best overall, but the ones that did well you mm. know, commercially... Can't see it. They also mentioned, you know, back in the late 90s, they had, like, the Teletubbies had a song, and then Bob the Builder had, like, three songs. Why? Did he? Yeah. <laughs> you think, can oh. we fix it? Yes, we can. Yeah. And then Obama. he did... <laughs> and then he did a version of Man Number 5. 
Oh, I don't know that. Oh, jeez. Surely, you, you, I'm, no. I'm sure you remember this, Dylan. You were 10 years I, old. He should know I remember this. Man by Number 5. I don't remember Bob the Builder doing a cover of <laughs> he, he it. He did a version of it, Dylan. Oh, jeez. And then he tried to go, you know, back to the world one too many times. He had another song in 28, oh, 2008. Oh. Big Fish, Little Fish. Didn't do so well. That sucks. Um, but the Mortal Kombat song he's saying, that, I reckon that's pretty good. Yeah, it slaps. It's, yeah. it's like a club song. Yeah, yeah. It's a dancing song, but yeah, oh, yeah. banger. Absolute tune. <laughs> well, it's not quite as good as um, Sharp Your Face, though, is it? Let's face it. Did, it. did it sell over 6 million copies worldwide? I don't know. It might I have. I would like to hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe got 800 million for all we know. It, hey, it could have. It could have. <laughs> it could have. Well... I hope you've enjoyed this journey today, Dylan, going I, on a shop your face journey. I have. I have. It was very interesting. Um, I'm sorry I took your chance away, though, from taking me on this journey. So. Oh, you know, it's fine. I'll, I'll find something else to fill the void. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're going to do another Joe Dolce song? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyway, well, that's been us this week. Thank you very much for listening. We're on the socials. By the time this goes out, we should have a Twitter page, for example. Um, Follow us there. um, And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Shop your face, Dylan. Oh, Oh, I got him. Got me good. I do miss you, though, so. Oh. Do you want me to say it back? Don't don't force it. No, I miss you, too. You miss you, okay? okay. I miss you, (laughs) <laughs> See ya. Bye. I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you? So, Dylan, when we recorded this episode, we didn't have uh, our music yet. But as you may have heard before, we have it now. Yay! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, thank you very mar- much, Mark Irons, for the music, for the theme song. Mark the man. That's, that's all right. Thanks, Mark. Legend. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.